What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Jesse Berger. Jesse has written the book, Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin, extremely well written. We read a couple excerpts from the book in this episode. We talk about RFK, politics and Bitcoin, uh, ESG, and much, much more. So tune in for another action-packed episode. And as always, this is not financial advice, so everything you hear in this podcast is strictly of the opinion of Jesse and myself and should not be taken as financial advice. Also, if you want to support the show, hit that subscribe button wherever you get podcasts. Uh, get the next episode directly to your feed. Give it a five-star rating and check out the YouTube. Just go ahead to YouTube, search Green Candle, uh, subscribe to my YouTube. I'm trying to grow that, so all the support is uh, greatly appreciated. All right, enough from that. Now let's get into the episode. Whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast where I have a very special guest. I have Jesse Berger here waiting in the uh, waiting room right now. He's the author of The Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. It's a phenomenal book. So if you haven't gotten it yet, uh, the link is in the description or show notes. So be sure to, to get that. Uh, but first, big shout out to my sponsor. I got the Pleb Lab shirt on. So shout out to Pleb Lab, the number one hacker hacker space in the game. They got uh, outstanding courses. Uh, they just launched a Nostra Devs course. So be sure to check that out on their website, pleblab.com. You can become a Nostra developer in just a simple eight hour course. It's designed for everybody. So, you know, if you're a beginner, you're not really, uh, you know, sure how to quite get into it. They break it down very simply and give you all the steps and tools you need to be a successful Nostra dev. So it's awesome stuff. And then they also got a ton of events going around around Bitblock Boom. So if you're going to be in Austin for Bitblock Boom, they have Startup Day August 21st and 22nd. I will be there. I'll be moderating some great panels as well. So be sure to, to get some tickets to come check out some, some great people. Odell speaking, uh, Muzz from Lightning Ventures, uh, and much, much more. So be sure to to come in into Austin and yeah, be there for Bitblock Boom. And if you're going to Bitblock Boom and you haven't bought your ticket yet, use promo code Green Candle. You can get 10% off your entire ticket and use that 10% to stack more sats. What could get better? I mean, just come down to Pleb Lab, join me in Austin for that week in late August, and it'll be a lot of fun. All right, enough for me. Let's get Jesse up here. Jesse, man, how you doing? I'm doing great, Brandon. Good to be here, man. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. So, I mean, it was great to meet you at the Canadian Bitcoin Conference, uh, but it's been, I, I don't know, like a month or so. So, uh, you know, how have things been since then? And uh, yeah, doing anything exciting? Well, it's been a month or so. And also, when do you remember when we were talking Saturday night? We were at, uh, at sort of the, the social event Saturday night at the bar with everybody. And we were having this great conversation. And then someone just like grabbed my shoulder and was pulling me away. And I know who he is. I'm not going to name him. <laughs> little gremlin was like tugging at me like you gotta come over here you gotta come over here and i was like trying I'm like dude i'm having a conversation here like we you and i were talking he's like no you gotta come you gotta come you gotta come and so do you know what it was because i don't i don't think i saw you again after the end of the night no i yeah we lost it we lost it after after that <laughs> we were talking a little bit and then yeah you got pulled away and i didn't see where you went the rest of the night i got pulled away and and what he wanted me to do, this is, we're at a Bitcoin conference, right? Everyone knows about Bitcoin. Everyone, you know, doles out orange pills. He was like, drag me over to the bar. And he's like, tell the bartender, like orange pill, the bartender. I'm like, I'm, I'm not a magician. Like, yeah, I wrote a book about Bitcoin. It's called magic Internet money, but like, it's not like I just 
you know, bump into people and boom, magically they, they get Bitcoin because they're around me. And it was just like so crazy. Yeah. But he's like, you got an orange I mean, pillar bartender. It's like, you can do it. Why do you need me? Yeah. Why, why you at all? all the, it was funny because it was like, we were upstairs. We had the full like upstairs, just, it was all Bitcoiners. I think they were even taking tips and, and lightning. I don't even know if they knew really what was going on, but they were like, we'll take tips and lightning. So I don't know. It was a cool spot, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know why you, you of all people, I mean, we're in the middle of the conversation. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I gave you a brief, brief intro at the beginning, but for those who don't know you listening, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us the orange pill story. Let's hear it, man. Uh, why, sure. Yeah, let's go into sure it. Thing. So yeah, um, I started my career in retail banking in 2006. Uh, I eventually went on to work in wealth management, doing full service brokerage. So managing investment accounts for high net worth individuals and and, and their corporations. That was in uh, 2011. I did that until 2013. And basically at the end of my time in retail um, banking and the beginning of my time in investing was when I got uh, red pilled on Austrian economics effectively in sound money because the financial crisis had just happened. And I remember, you know, they come out with this, oh, we have a $600 billion bailout for banks. And I'm sitting there going like, wait, I, I don't remember learning how, you know, they just have a giant pile of money sitting around that they're just going to hand out to select corporations. Like another industry, your business fails. They don't get bailed out, but this industry does. Like, I, I don't understand. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense to me. So I started questioning things um, around, you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, I had heard about Bitcoin, call it 2010. And I remember when I first started working in wealth management, me and a couple buddies, I, I was like talking to a couple buddies. They were getting, you know, we were watching Max Kaiser. So we were kind of hearing him talk about it. I was like, you know what? It would be probably be a good idea. Maybe we should get a little bit in case it catches on. Like, let's put a thousand bucks in the Bitcoin. It was at like a dollar at the time. And, you know, we were just idiot bankers. We didn't actually know how to do it. And we we basically all chickened out because we were like, oh, like, how are we going to store it? We're probably going to lose it. And, and in fairness, we probably would have lost it because there was no infrastructure or very minimal infrastructure for Bitcoin at the time. Not the same way we have, you know, you have a cold card or you have different devices and, and apps on your phone for, for wallets. Like none of that was available then. So we didn't buy. Obviously, it goes from buck to like 50 bucks. And I just remember thinking, oh, you know, I missed the boat. <laughs> um, and so it, it went it was in the back of my mind you know, the whole time, but I was just like, ah, you know, it's, I, I missed it. I went on to do my MBA and work in, uh, and work in management consulting, both in the financial sector. And then I ended up managing, um, the customer experience market research program for one of Canada's biggest insurance companies for a couple of years. And it was around that time that I rediscovered Bitcoin, started actually buying some, had a friend who was really into it, who's like, hey, this is how you this is how you buy it. This is how you store it. You know, he got, got me set up with a device early on. And so I felt he helped me feel comfortable using it. And then, you know, things just took off from there. 2017 was a crazy year. And, you know, I just went down all the rabbit holes after that. And it uh, it consumed me. Yeah, that's great stuff. But, you know, you know, you seem like you kind of, you know, you you followed it, you have the banking background and everything like that. But, you know, why the book? Why did you decide to to kind of write it out that way? Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, show your proof of work, so to speak, in the Bitcoin space through that. Yeah. So when I left my job, I was, you know, I started off buying a bunch of other crypto. I have 
obviously, you know, it took me about a year to realize, oh no, Bitcoin is the thing because I was combining my old knowledge of, you know, uh, Austrian economics, sound money, like the heart, the principles of that with technology as I was coming to understand it, blockchain, proof of work, whatever, you know, all the different elements that go into it. So all the puzzle pieces started to fit together for me and make sense in my head. And so I was like, wow, this is, you know, I, I see now the roadmap. I sort of see where Bitcoin is going and how it's going to get there. You know, to, to some degree, I, I'm not a, you know, a, a visionary or whatever, but like I, I had the image that every, that the Bitcoiners all share. And so I thought, wow, like I, I want to help people understand this. And I never set out to write a book. I have no training as an author or writer or anything. I, I always thought I was okay with words, but um Basically, I decided, you know what, I have this background in wealth management. Why don't I try to put together like a presentation? I'll, I'll go around, I'll find some high net worth inv uh, investors and I'll try to show them guys like you should have Bitcoin. Everyone should have Bitcoin. You guys should have Bitcoin. And I would treat it sort of like a uh, like I was in wealth management, right? I would not necessarily manage a portfolio for them, but just if I can get them in, run a fund. I don't know what I was thinking, really. I just wanted to show people, hey. There's there's something here and you shouldn't ignore this. And it started off as a slideshow. It was within a few weeks. It was like 80 slides. It was huge. It was like 85 slides or something. I show it to a friend of mine and he just looks at me and he goes, Jesse, like you're an idiot. You can't like you're going to spend five hours showing someone this. No one's going to sit through that. This is terrible, but it's a great skeleton for a book. Maybe you should turn it into a book. And so went to sleep that night, woke up the next morning. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I just went to work, turning it into a book. Yeah, and it's a great book. I mean, I've, I've, I was telling you a little bit pre-show, like I've read like, I would say probably 70, 80% of it at this point, but then I got the chat GPT little, uh, little summary at the end too. Um, but I mean, overall, I think it's like extremely well, well written and, um, you know, really gets the point across. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting though, you start off like at the very beginning as what is money? So when you were going through that aspect of things like, hey, what is money, like the media of exchange, that kind of stuff, you know, how did, how did that change? Or, you know, I, I guess, how did you view that or initially when you like pre-Bitcoin, you know, you're obviously kind of in the, the banking industry and kind of like that world of things. And then it seems like, you know, Bitcoin almost flips that world upside down. So um, did you kind of have like that understanding of what is money prior to going through this rabbit hole? And uh yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I had this understanding in my head that if you have, you know, what you could call bad money or unsound money for, you know, money that has poor characteristics and qualities, right? If it can be easily printed, if it's value, if, if it doesn't stand the test of time, if it's not durable, portable, divisible, all the, like all the, all the qualities that you would associate with sound money. If it's, if it's not those things, or in, in the case of fiat, it's just you have a central entity printed at a whim all the other market participants don't have that same access, right? The central banks have this, they're in this privileged position where only they can print money on behalf of the government. They, it costs them nothing when they spend it, but it has real value in the marketplace. Um, I understood that that leads to poor socioeconomic outcomes because it has this unfair advantage. You have the Cantillon effect of, you know, who has, whoever has quicker access to the money or, or is in proximity to the money printer is going to benefit more than the people who receive it once it trickles through down the rest of the line to the economy. Um, so I understood that sort of socioeconomic connection. I understood, again, pre-Bitcoin, how gold was, it leveled the playing field to some degree in the sense that 
anyone can go mine gold and they put in the work so it's costly you're not just creating it for free you can't or it's much more difficult to forge um and and it it creates a more level playing field for value and and as a result of money that has these better qualities that's scarce and sound or that's scarce and difficult to produce you're more discerning with how you spend it because it's not, oh, well, I can just print more. So if I spend and I make a mistake, well, I'll just print more and spend again. And I'll just, you know, if I make another, I don't, I never learn my lesson because there's no consequence to spending. And so a harder, sounder money adds in those consequences and that responsibility of being more judicious, more careful with your money. And then Bitcoin just builds on the characteristics of gold and makes them even better. And I eventually put that part of the puzzle together, you know, several years later. Yeah, for sure. And, and I want to, I told you this at the beginning of the show, but this is probably like my favorite excerpt that I that I got from the entire book. And it's just right at the beginning of third paragraph. Nice. So I'm going to read it here for those who haven't read, read the book yet. If not, you should, you should definitely check it out. It's available wherever you get books and uh, what you get. It's like magic internet money.com or something. Like that. Uh, so magic Bitcoin book.com. And yeah, oh, obviously right. links to the paperback ebook, audiobook, And also you can buy individual pages of my book for sats using on lightning on my website. There we go. That's awesome stuff. So yeah, I mean, you should definitely, you should definitely check it out if you haven't already. There's uh, it's, it's everywhere, but here's my favorite excerpt. So Today, money is controlled by masters who, obscured behind a veil of prestige, pull its strings like a puppeteer, leading us astray like a pied piper. Operating under the guise of promoting prosperity, they deceive us into discounting their dismal track record, which perpetuates economic inequality by continuously diluting the value of our money affecting how we use our time and efforts i mean that just like nails it on the head dude so i mean you you like cut yourself short because you said you were you know you're not a writer right you were putting through like all of this uh you know slides initially but it seems like you know you really were very thought thoughtful with almost every single word like especially that, that paragraph alone right so i mean like you know, as you were going through this, like, what was your, I guess, overall goal to, to you know, accomplish with this book? And uh, like, who was your kind of target audience? Because it seems like, you know, at first you were kind of maybe going for, towards like high net worth of individuals. But, you know, and in a sense, like it's it's very digestible and it seems like it can be read by, you know, seemingly anybody at this point um, who, you know, I guess uh, has like a high school, maybe even middle school level education. Yeah, when I, uh, you know, when I put this, pre when it was a presentation initially, that's when I was thinking, oh, I'll pitch it to high net worth investors. But when I made it a book, yeah, the audience changed completely because, you know, I, you know, the format now you have the book in front of you. Every page is its own individually titled little mini essay that comprises, you know, one idea, one subject, one argument. And, and, and that basically I took the format that I had on the slideshow and, and converted it into a book. So, you know, when you have a slideshow, you have sort of, you're presenting on one idea or one set of data or whatever, and you're explaining it. And so I did sort of the same thing with the book. Um, but then what I wanted to do, I, I, I was sort of telling myself I was writing it as I was writing it, that I was going to do this like impossible book where I'm going to take ideas from all kinds of disciplines, right? Politics, game theory, economics, technology, whatever. Um, and I'm going to try to put it into as simple and relatable terms as possible while like going as deep as I can for an introductory page, right? For one, you know, argument on one idea. I want to go as deep as possible 
on one page while still being in simple, relatable, easy to understand terms. So you mentioned that, you know, you didn't see any words wasted. You have no idea how much I slaved over making sure that there's no waste in this book. It's every word is very, very intentional. I went over it with a five fine tooth comb many times over. I, I rewrote entire chapters, uh, several, some of them several times, um, trying to get it right. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm obviously very proud of it. And the target audience is literally anyone. I've, I've had beginners who benefit from it. I've had, you know, novices and experts tell me they think it's an amazing resource because if you're trying to remember, oh yeah, what's the argument for why money with a fixed supply would be the best, you know, generate the best possible economic outcomes? Well, like I, I explained that in like three pages. Um, so, and you can just get that, like you said, you have that one paragraph. It's like, okay, give me the elevator pitch on, why fix the money? Like what, what is money? Why fix the money? Boom. One paragraph. You just like, it's there. It's right there. Um, so yeah, thank, thank you for recognizing that. Cause I did, I, I killed myself to get that right. And to make sure every word was in place and that anyone could just pick it up and, and understand it. But yeah, the target markets, everyone, uh, the book's meant to be very friendly and not, not intimidating, right? Like I have, so I have the copy too. Um, you got the cover with, you know, there's a wizard on it. It's got sort of full page images, uh, I'll find you one here. Just literally, right? I got my evil banker man. Um, I got full page images and graphs and charts to just keep it very um, inviting for the reader. So you don't have to feel too intimidated because Bitcoin is a difficult topic. If you're, if you don't have a background in either the money or the tech or, or your game theory or whatever it may be. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I really liked how you laid it out as well, right? I mean, you kind of give like an introduction to, to money, then you got, kind of go into Bitcoin, blockchain, mining, advantages, some criticisms too, um, kind of like debunking those and, and going through, you know, just the whole thing, right? I mean, it's a very well thought out and, uh, you know, kind of the, the overall process. But, you know, when, when you, uh, you know, I guess, talk to readers of the book or like when you were kind of going through it even yourself, you know, what was, was something, I guess, uh, the topic that you thought was maybe like the hardest to grasp when it came to Bitcoin? Like, was it maybe Ooh. the mining? Maybe it was the, the nodes? Maybe it was blockchain? Like, what is what was like kind of like the most difficult thing that you seem like, you know, it was hard to kind of make simplistic in a sense there's a lot of elements of it that were were tricky to make simplistic the, actually you know what the craziest thing is i thought because i had this background in banking and and economics and i i thought i understood money that oh you know what doing chapter three is is called money chapter four is called growth which is basically meant to be a synonym for economics um I remember thinking, oh, those ones are going to be easy because I, I have those like in my head. I know exactly what they're going to be. Those ones turned out to be really hard for me uh, to get it and explain it the way I wanted it, that I thought everyone that it would be very relatable, very uh, easy and just you know convey a clear, concise message. Um, so those ones were a lot trickier than I thought, believe it or not. Um, the drawbacks one was is probably the one I get the most feedback on where people are like, you know, I really appreciate that you tried to criticize Bitcoin. And if you actually, if you read every word of that chapter, I, you know, it's like 80, the first 80% of any page is okay. I'm trying to explain what the potential drawback is, but I kind of end every, every page with, but there's kind of a solution either that exists or that's waiting to be implemented. Um, you know, people criticize Bitcoin can't scale. Well, at the time, lightning was like just, just, just on the cusp. Now it's here, it's maturing. We're also seeing, you know, uh, 
uh, I believe his name is Burak, came out with Arc as a, as another potential sort of layer two. And and these things are, you know, it's not proven. We're not 100% certain that these are going to work for everybody throughout the world forever. But solutions are there. People are working on them. We're trying to bring them to the fore. We're trying to make them usable. And that was sort of the undertone I wanted to have for most of the drawback section is, yeah, like you can criticize Bitcoin, but just be aware that for every, basically every criticism that exists, there's a solution either that's currently being worked on or waiting in the wings, or you just don't even know about it. Yeah. And I like that. You stole my thunder, dude. I was going to go to the drawback (laughs) after. So, I mean, you kind of set me up there nicely, but I mean, you talked about like the scalability aspect of things too. Right. But I mean, you know, I think it, it doesn't seem like it's as big of a topic as it was maybe last year or the year before, but there was like the big ESG movement with mining. Right. I mean, and, and you're, you're Canadian, right. I mean, and it seems like every other, you know, now, now it was, or at first it was the COVID crisis, you know, and now it's, it's seemingly moving towards the climate change crisis. Right. So, you know, how do you, I guess uh, I'll leave it fairly broad. How do you see that playing out, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin, because it seems like, you know, a lot of governments around the world, you know, not Canada, not just Canada or the United States or whatever, like, you know, plenty of them around the world are trying to, I guess, still harness that control and kind of keep it in a sense. So, you know, it's, I, I fear that that's like kind of the, the, the route that, you know, they're already lining out, right. Is like ESG um, is, uh, you know, a, a big topic of conversation, climate change, what have you, and Bitcoin mining is just terrible for it. So, you know, how do you see that playing out? And uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I think we're seeing early signs of the ESG narrative and climate change narrative, right? The the foundations underpinning those are are starting to wobble for sure. We're seeing whether it's more people speaking out or just more people saying, hey, you know, even if I fully agree, yeah, the climate is changing. Like I still need energy. I live in Canada, right? Like if I have zero carbon, then that means I have no heating and no air conditioning. And, you know, I'm not going to last very long here. Um, So we need energy. Let's not forget that. And we need reliable energy. You know, if the wind isn't blowing in the winter and the wind turbines are frozen, right? That happened in Texas a couple of years ago, I think, right? That's a problem. Uh, Or the sun's not shining because in, again, in winter, the sun is, uh, is gone more, you know, from basically nine in the morning till 4 p.m. Like, or sorry, the sun's only around from nine till four, as opposed to now where it's here, you know, the sun's out from like 7am till 9pm. You know, we have a lot, a lot smaller window of sunshine. So we're going to get a lot less energy from the sun. Like we need reliable energy to heat our homes, to cook our food, to do all the things we need to do to, to survive and thrive. So, you know, we have to put climate change in context and understand, you know, we can survive a changing climate. Um, again, if you're subscribing to the, the climate is changing and that, and that's an existential, existential threat to humanity. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I'm not as worried about those narratives as I once was, cause I see maybe a little more dissent and a little bit more pushback on it. Um, at the same time, we're also seeing that much more support for Bitcoin from different avenues. Um, whether it's, you know, the Troy crosses of the world who talk about the benefits of Bitcoin in the energy landscape. Um, I mean, there's, and also, um, you know, whether it's political support, um, you know, they, they couldn't even prosecute Ripple as a security. I think Bitcoin's going to be okay. I'm not worried about them coming down on it. Uh, you know, we can get into CBDCs if you really want to afterwards. But uh, yeah, I I find more and more as Bitcoin grows, you know, as it grows in value, it also grows in influence 
it also it's growing. That means it's growing in the amount of people using it, the amount of people that are interested in it. And that includes whether it's politicians and regulators and bankers and all the people who may have been against it, you know, it's sneaking up behind them and and sort of tickling their interest a little bit. And that they become active players and advocates in a sense for Bitcoin when it becomes, you know, when it creeps into their uh, well backyard, but like they can't ignore it or they have to, you know, they start paying attention to it because they see the benefits of it in one degree or another. And so it's taking power away from sort of the state, if we want to just general put everything in that state bucket, the ESG, um, climate change, state bucket, whatever. It siphons power from the state as its own power and influence grows. So how it, you know, how, how it's going to impact that, I, I just see it, the incentives playing out over time, basically. Like Bitcoin's incentives are as, you know, I don't want to use the word perfect, but as great as anything we've ever had. And barring, you know, something that I can't even imagine at this point, you know, the incentives will continue to play out, like barring Bitcoin shutting down, which, you know, how are we going to do that? I have no idea. Um, Bitcoin's Bitcoin's just going to keep winning. It won't be yeah. a smooth ride necessarily, but it'll keep winning. Oh, yeah. And, and I definitely agree with with all of that that statement, right? I mean, I mean there's there's definitely the criticisms and, and everything else. But, you know, you brought up CBDCs. So I, I say we, we, should, we should go there now, right? I mean, like FedNow is uh, now live, I guess, which is not, you know, a retail CBDC, CBDC here in the United States. But, you know, it definitely seems like it's trending that way. It seems like, you know, a lot of governments across the globe are, you know, implementing CBDCs. We've seen China start to do stuff like that, where, you know, you even need to, I think it's like scan your retinas in order to, yeah. to pay at this point. So a lot of wild things going around uh, the world just to access your money. So it seems like that's kind of like the next roadblock, right? I mean, like governments are going to either hand out free CBDCs uh, in a sense <laughs> as like stimulus, right? To kind of yeah. people to spend. And then, you know, because you're, you know, spending CBDCs, you know, I mean, uh, that that will, uh, in a sense, like just use the ease of the uh, make it easy to use that sort of money. And so the average normie is going to do that or even, you know, potentially uh, implement laws where like point of sale terminals, they'll let you pay with anything, right? Dollars, uh, gold even, or, you know, uh, Bitcoin or whatever it is, but now you need to scan your retinas in order to pay. Um, so it seems like they're, they're kind of like almost hinting at, you know, a lot of things that are almost, I guess, anti-Bitcoin in a sense where uh, it, you're, you're monitor there will be monitoring your spending uh, more so now than ever. So, you know, I guess, uh, how, are, how do you see this uh, whole CBDC shenanigans playing out? I mean, because to me, it seems like, in a sense, like that the Bitcoiners will try to resist and, you know, do everything that they can. But, you know, they're going to make it very difficult, um, uh, you know, for for Bitcoiners to, to continue down this path. Yeah, like central bankers, they can't help themselves, right? They, the, the CBDCs, they, if they, if they're going to try to implement them, and obviously it seems like they are going to at least make an effort to do so. Um it's the antithesis of Bitcoin in terms of its value proposition, right? It's money that can be frozen, that can be, you know, taken out of your account, that can be censored, they can prevent you from spending it. So, you know, the value proposition is nil. Um, it's more centrable, obviously, than uh, than money, than cash today or gold or Bitcoin, you know, obviously. Um, if anything, like bring it up, bring it in. Like if this is the inevitable outcome, like Bitcoin has to face the final boss at the end of the day. There's sort of no avoiding it. 
So if Bitcoin's going to become what it was designed to become, it must overcome all foes, right? It must overcome all challengers. Uh, central banks are the final boss, right? Augustus Karstens with his big suit and the, and the, and the little button holding together the, uh, the entire financial system. If you know that mean, he's the head of the BIS. He's a rather large fellow. Um, you know, there's at some point, maybe there's a showdown or maybe by the time they actually get their shit together and figure out how they're going to actually try to implement it. Cause I think they still have a lot of, uh, headwinds and roadblocks ahead of them, you know, they're just going to highlight the value proposition value proposition of Bitcoin that much more. Um, so I actually don't spend a lot of time worrying about CBDCs. I think, you know, it's sort of this uh, paper threat that, you know, they dangle over you, but I don't, I don't think they're really as close to implementing it as they would like you to believe. And even when they do it, try to implement it, the roadblocks such as, you know, if you're saying I can transact without any friction using your CBDC, well, then what need do I have for my bank, which makes a billion dollars a year on transaction fees? They're just going to roll over and take it. You know, there's some friction there. Um, I don't know. How's the bank going to react when they say, you know what? Yeah, those that billion dollars you make every year in, in banking fees. You know, we just with our CBDC, you know, now it's it's more efficient. So we don't need to charge people anymore. It's, they're they're going to go, uh, you know, we like making that money. Uh, so, you know, there's just like I said, these frictions that maybe are not so obvious that will need to be figured out one way or another. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't spend too much time worrying about it. Like people are not going to be so eager to uptake it. And if they are for and if it's forced foisted upon them or forced upon them, It'll just highlight Bitcoin's value proposition that much more because, like you said, you have the point of sale terminal. You know, it's a lot easier to implement a Bitcoin point of sale than a gold point of sale. And cash has its limitations. And plus, it's just paper. You know, they can print more of it. So, what's the value proposition anyway? Um, so, yeah, CBDCs don't scare me all that much, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of like that point. You know, I mean, I didn't really think about that. But I mean, I do agree. Like, at the end of the day, where the most incentives are, like, people are going to gravitate towards that, right? I mean, whether it's, um, you know, Bitcoin or some something else that, that hasn't, you know, been implemented just yet. Um, but, you know, you, you did bring up cash and kind of like the US dollar. And we, we did have, uh, you know, RFK Jr., who uh, seemingly was like the darling of uh, Bitcoin Twitter for a while. But it seems like people are kind of maybe questioning him a little bit now because he just announced that if he were to be elected, that he would back uh, the U S dollar by hard assets. And he, he listed, you know, gold, real estate and Bitcoin uh, coincidentally. So, I mean, uh, obviously Bitcoiners kind of gravitated to backing the U S dollar by Bitcoin, but um, yeah. Well, what do you think about all this? Um, you know, I guess like the, the movement towards this and uh, do you think that this is like a viable solution or, um, do you think he's just kind of spewing it now to try to to try to get some votes? It's a good question, man. Um, you know, RFK is an interesting character. Uh, it's definitely possible to agree with him on some things, not others. Um, you know, I think I saw at one point he was wanted to like ban assault rifles. It's like, what? So you're saying only bad guys can have assault rifles because they're criminals and only police, which are the or army, which, you know, when governments turn sour, those are the groups that turn against the people that's the group you're saying should only have guns. Like, you know, maybe that's questionable, but anyway, we'll leave, you know, leaving that part aside. Cause I, I haven't gone all the way down his whole platform or anything. Um, his idea of 
backing dollars, you know, to with a basket of hard goods or whatever, you know, is that practical? Is that politically, you know, is there any political appetite for that? Cause you still have to deal with this, you know, the apparatus of, of the U S government. Um, could you actually get that done? You know, it seems like there's, again, there's going to be a lot of roadblocks to trying to back if it's new debt issuance or whatever he said, or, or, you know, dollars with, with certain things or, or multiple goods. It's questionable. Um, the one thing that was great was he said, we'll get rid of capital gains tax on Bitcoin. And to me, that effectively makes Bitcoin like money because now if I go and I, you know, I don't, I'm in Canada, I don't have strike, but if I go with strike and I say, okay, I'm going to spend Bitcoin and, and, um, and the, uh, the payment processor or the, or the recipient is going to, you know, they're just going to immediately convert it to cash to dollars on their end. Um, now I'm just spending my Bitcoin. I'm not worried about tax implications that's like, that's what we want, right? I just want to be able to send and receive Bitcoin without anyone in between and anyone, you know, saying, oh, I need a cut of that. Um, so that's probably a, a, a really intelligent step. And that's something we should see everywhere. Um, you know, legal tender, you know, like they have in El Salvador. Um, I don't know that that needs to be the case everywhere. It won't necessarily be the case everywhere. Um, Eventually, when currencies all fail, it's not going to matter anyway, because it's, just, you know, the dollar is enforcing the legal tender laws. And if there's no dollar, there's no legal tender laws. There's just transactional, you know, individuals doing transactions. Um, so legal tender isn't, isn't the biggest deal in my mind. But um, yeah, cap, getting rid of capital gains is, would be great. I would love to see that because then you make Bitcoin more palatable, both as for, send, for spending and saving. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think that's the that, that's the biggest takeaway that I had as well is like, yeah. right now in the United States, like it's not very like the incentives aren't there for businesses to accept Bitcoin as, you know, payment, um, exactly like you lined out, right? I mean, like, you have to, you know, pay capital gains tax along with sales tax and everything else, you know, and it, and it makes it very difficult for like a small business owner to, to accept that. So, yeah. um, you know, I know you guys have the tahinis up in, uh, in Canada, who's who's put, um, you know, Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but they don't even accept Bitcoin as payment right now, too, because it's not just it's just, yeah, you know, the incentives aren't there. It makes it very difficult for a small business. So I think, you know, at least in the United States, that's a that's a big step. But, you know, I agree with you there on like backing the uh, dollar on like with some sort of basket of goods of hard assets. Like, I just don't really see if it's it's feasible at all. And then, you know, in a sense, like, all right, well, how much is as the like we're pricing Bitcoin right now in dollar terms. So to kind of like revert that, I don't know, it, it seems like it's something that could be manipulated to make the dollar, you know, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, I just I just don't really see like a plan lining it out. That's the thing. You know, the reason the gold, uh, the, the gold system failed was because they were printing more currency notes said to have gold in you know, backing it, then there were, then there was actually gold backing it. So if you're backing dollars with Bitcoin, well, you could kind of still print dollars, I guess, and say, Hey, we have some Bitcoin, but you need to be able to, for, for the gold system to work, for the gold standard system to work, you would need to definitively connect, you know, this ounce of gold to this dollar, right? Like we need to make physical connection, understand that it's there one-to-one -one, and that there's no excess on one side or the other. Well, on the dollar side, obviously, um, but 
you can't guarantee that. The whole solution of Bitcoin is that you don't need to back a currency with Bitcoin. Just use Bitcoin as the currency because you know for a fact you have it or you don't. And there's only so much of it. So I don't need to back Bitcoin by anything. Bitcoin is the thing that does the backing. And it's it's designed specifically for transactions. So let's use it for that. You know, holding it in reserve so you can have this currency, it, it just perpetuates the power of the currency, which is not the goal or shouldn't be. Yeah, it, it seems like, too, it's like down the line, right? I mean, if you get a non-Bitcoiner in office, it'll turn out something like what happened in 1971, right? I mean, yeah. where they just like deep peg the dollar and then it starts the cycle all over again until we have something, you know, similar to Bitcoin or even like just revert back to Bitcoin. I don't I don't even know. I don't even know how that future would play out, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense at this point. Yeah. But, and, it, and, and it would be difficult to to, you know, forge or fudge the fact that you have Bitcoin in in uh, storage. Right. Like you could say, oh, I have 100 ounces of gold, but really I have 10 ounces of gold. And you have some auditor who comes in and you know, they sign off on it. But, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You pay him under a table to say there's 100, but there's only 10. Bitcoin would be a lot more difficult to do that because, hey, just, you know, show me the address on the ledger, you know, sign a message from the key, prove that, you know, the U.S. government has the key to these coins. OK, we know that there's that many um, Bitcoin, so there can only be this many dollars. Now, can we control the dollar printing mechanism? That's a whole other story. Um, so it could potentially be a, a sort of step up, but it's still not like a desirable system. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a sense, like RFK, like, you know, whether whether you agree with his, his policies or not, like I think he was trying to almost seems like, you know, I, I'm, I'm very wary when when politicians bring up Bitcoin, because like one, it's it seems like, you know, Bitcoiners are a very uh, I guess maybe it's maybe it's me in the echo chamber, but a very loud a group of people on on the Internet, right on Twitter, yeah. right? Bitcoin Twitter is very popular. Um, and they're very passionate and it seems like a lot of Bitcoiners are kind of on, you know, split on sides of things, maybe a lot identify as more libertarian, um, and don't really agree fully on both sides of things. But, you know, when they bring up Bitcoin, uh, it's trying to turn people into like one issue or single issue voters, which, you know, I mean, I think like if you, if you like Bitcoin for the freedom aspects of things, RFK might not necessarily be your guy, but, um, he's the one that's being the loudest when it comes to, to Bitcoin related topics. So it is kind of an interesting little dichotomy here. And I think like, you know, politicians are understanding now that, you know, maybe maybe this is uh, the libertarian side of things. Maybe we could flip this population into one side or the other and, you know, make it so, uh, you know, that it'll help uh, elect so and so into office. But, you know, I think it, it is kind of an interesting thing that we're going to start to see play out over the next you know, definitely this election cycle here in the United States, but, you know, in 2024, but I think in 2028 and beyond, that's just going to be even more elevated. So, you know, overall, even though you don't necessarily agree with, um, you know, the backing of, of Bitcoin at, uh, or backing the U.S. dollar with Bitcoin, you know, do you see this as like maybe as like a positive or a negative? Do you think like the normies who, who hear RFK say this? think like what the hell is this uh magic internet money or uh you know or, or they actually kind of take a dive into to bitcoin and uh try to learn a little bit more from there no i i think it's a positive that he's uh bringing it up it's become a talking point it's become an issue to some degree on you know the campaign trail i know you know desantis and maybe a couple others are also generally supportive of it um so it's becoming a more prominent 
issue, which is good. Um, at the same time, you know, politicians make promises and then they break them. Like that's that's par for the course. So he can say, I'm going to get rid of capital gains. You know, that's nice. If you get in, you know, let's, let's see you follow through. We'll see if that happens. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, you got to take everything with a grain of salt, but just understand, I guess, that, you know, Bitcoin is this force that it's beyond their control regardless. Um, one of the actually one of the things I found really interesting, RFK, I think it was right after the Bitcoin conference in uh, in Miami, he sent out some kind of tweet and he goes, I'm going to, you know, promise I'll give you permission. You can spend your Bitcoin anywhere you want. And I replied, I'm like, uh, you know, I don't need your permission. That's the whole value proposition. Uh, but thanks for your support anyway. Like you, you can outlaw it. That's not going to change the physical reality that I can spend my Bitcoin whenever I want. You can you can say I have your blessing, but if I don't have your blessing, I, I'm still gonna, I can still spend it. So you know your blessing doesn't mean anything here. You know, figure it out. Happy you're supportive, but like we don't need your permission, and we're not asking for it. Yeah, and I and I think that's the the still like kind of like the power struggle that we're going through, right? Is that like the politicians still think like, hey, you know, we're gonna give you permission, and this is like kind of you know them almost being like, oh, we'll we'll like wipe our hands a little bit of our power, but in a sense, like you know, the undertones that they have, it still seems like they want they they want that power, right? I mean, they worked their whole careers to get where they're at, and so that's essentially like something that they're not gonna give up very easily. And so, yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion, I'm just always like very skeptical of uh, politicians in a sense. Um, one, just, you know, prior to Bitcoin, I was always questioning it. But uh, two, now with the spread of information, you know, we see old clips of um, not even just uh, RFK, but all other politicians, right, where they said something 20, 30 years ago yeah. and now the exact opposite. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, people can learn their lesson, too, right? I know. Uh, RFK had said something about, you know, oh, people who deny climate change should, you know, have their head shook or whatever. But, you know, he's, I think he's since come and he said, oh, yeah, like I, I understand that they're actually using it as a tool for control. You know, they're, they're going to say, scream climate change, climate change, climate change. Therefore, don't drive your car, don't leave your house, don't fly. Basically, just stay home until the weather stays perfectly stable or something. Um, like that's, them exerting control and we need to recognize that and that's one of the lessons that bitcoin teaches is that you know we don't need you can have leaders but we have to be careful of concentrating power in the hands of leaders if anything we should have multiple leaders on any topic um in any industry uh and they can compete um and but like at the end of the day, they shouldn't have excess power because what happens, you know, as we saw with COVID, if you give public health all the power and they say, this is the one solution we have, we're going to lock down everyone. Well, what if you're wrong? You know, what if you're wrong that lockdowns aren't the right solution? You create more harm because you have more power if you're wrong. If you say instead, hey, public health, we're, we're making a recommendation. Okay, well, I can listen to it or not listen to it. And if I don't listen to it, I just go about my day and, and whatever happens, happens. Um, but... If I'm wrong, I, you know, I pay for it, but if I'm not wrong, I'm not harmed by it. But when you have the power to implement across a huge swaths of people who have different opinions, experiences, uh, knowledge, and who might say, you know what? Yeah, I think differently about this topic or that topic. Um, they might be right. And then they can help spread, you know, people will see that they're right and people will learn from them. But when you have concentrated power, it's this big hammer that hammers out everything. And so you can either have huge one-off impacts that 
go across the board or a bunch of little tiny impacts and people can sort of adapt and see, oh, this one's working there and that one's working there. Let's take the little bits from here, there that are working. And, and that's how you adapt more quickly because you have multiple leaders and powers more dispersed as opposed to all the power concentrated where it's just boom, one outcome. It better be right or everyone pays the price. And so Bitcoin, you know, makes decentralizing power more, you know, more of a reality, more of a possibility. Yeah, and I, honestly, I like absolutely love that explanation. Um, and, you know, that kind of like brings me back to the thought of like the ESG narrative, right? I mean, we're kind of talking about that, uh, you know, here and there throughout this conversation. So, um, you know, I, I kind of want to just, I, I guess I'll put you on the spot here, you know, because it, it seems like not only here in like the United States is a big topic, but it seems like it's even more of a topic in Canada where you're at, right? I mean, I think I just saw like Canada, Toronto is like trying to pass something where you can't have two stroke um like lawnmowers you need like <laughs> yeah that was the thing that, that the city of toronto was trying to push the other day yeah exactly so i mean it seems like it's, it's going to be a growing concern for for everything so um you know i'll leave you with this little nugget like we've basically had the technology to tr track whether um probably for less than even a century for able to track like hurricanes like massive amounts of um, you know, whether it's like earthquakes in, you know, the middle of the ocean that nobody really feels like all these kind of things. Um, and the spread of information now obviously is a lot quicker. So, um, you know, it seems like the climate is under more of a uh, microscope now more than ever. So my personal opinion, I think like, you know, basically because we've been able to track this, this weather for some time, we've been able to, you know, uh, now we're, we're seeing like record highs, so to speak, but we've only been tracking it for a small period of time. So, um, we don't really know, I guess, if these are full record highs or whatnot. So in, in your eyes, like, do you kind of, I guess, agree in a sense of mine, or do you kind of like think, you know, I, I'm a, I kind of off base here in a sense and that, you know, we should listen to the quote unquote experts when it comes to the ESG narrative. Yeah. Um, I mean, in my mind, uh, you know, expert became a derogatory term the last few years um, that I don't like all that much. Um, <laughs> but that's, um, but like just sort of zooming out, you know, if you think your actions can change the weather, that's nice, I guess. Um, you know, if you want to do that, prove, like lead by example, don't tell me I have to do something. If you want to convince me, like do it yourself, show me the way, right? Like if, you know, we have the, the politicians who fly around to conferences, you know what, stop, stop flying around. You go, oh, but I bought a carbon offset. Yeah, with whose money? Um, you know, like, no, no, lead by example. Don't leave your house. Don't, you know, don't fly on private planes. Don't have an army of servants cooking for you and looking out for you. And, you know, just you do, do the things that you're preaching show me that you can live that life and that it's a better life and it's better for me. And if I see the benefits, then I might be inclined to follow. But if you're going to gaslight me and do all the things you say I shouldn't do, well, of course, I'm not going to take you seriously. Um, you know, and there's obviously competing, you know, science on all sides, experts on all sides. I'm not at all, obviously, an expert in climate. I just think it's silly that, oh, I'm going to pay a, you know, we have a carbon tax here. What, you know, point four, 8% of the population of the world lives in Canada, maybe. And we're paying a tax that's somehow going to change the weather for the entire planet. Like how's, you know, Canadians wake the fuck up. Um, anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't, 
care too much for that stuff. I want to see leaders lead and not just talk, like walk the walk, don't talk the talk. Um, let me see the benefits. And if I can observe them by verifying, seeing that they're real, then then maybe I'll follow. Like, I don't get me wrong. I want to reduce waste. I don't want to see pollution. I think reducing waste is a good idea. Um, but there are better ways to reduce waste than these like, oh, we got rid of single use straws. Now we get paper straws that come wrapped in plastic. It's like, okay, I, I think we've missed the point here. <laughs> so the whole, the, the climate ESG thing, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's over the, it's over the target. It's too far. It's gone too far. It's crazy. It makes no sense. Economically, it doesn't make sense. Um, scientifically, I think it probably doesn't make sense. Um, that's not to say the climate's not changing, but like the climate's always changing. Humans need to adapt to it. I, I think I read at one point, like a volcano explosion puts out more carbon than, you know, the entire planet does in the span of a month or of several months or something. So, you know, what impact are we really having? It's, it's probably pretty difficult to measure. There's also benefits to CO2. We can't have no CO2. Anyway, sorry, this isn't a carbon podcast, so we don't need to go on about that, but I think you get the idea. No, yeah, 100%. I just think like, you know, the narrative is, uh, you know, always being like, I guess, changed the bars continually be, yeah. being moved, right? I mean, it's, it's something that like, it like, we kind of said, said before, right? It's, it's, it's almost like something for control. And I think yeah. that, you know, it'll be like, very interesting to see how this like plays out over the next couple of years, because I think that's going to be a growing, um, maybe like spearhead or a growing argument from one side of the coin. Um, I mean, I even saw a tweet today um, from Doomberg. So shout out to Doomberg. If you guys don't follow him, I've had him on the macro pod. He's, he's outstanding. But um, he posted a screenshot of a CNN article where the title is Underground Climate Change is Deforming the Ground Beneath Buildings that he finds. So, I mean, like, I, how does that even make any sense? Underground climate change. I don't know. But I mean, hey, like. It's like it, I actually had like a you know I saw like Trudeau have like a speech today where he was like talking about democracy and like respect <laughs> and like this is for democracy and I feel like when people when politicians get in front of you know screens or whatever or cameras or whatnot that, that they just have like a list of buzzwords and that's kind of you know their mo is just like hit these buzzwords like nobody really understands what they mean or in the context of what they're saying but they're saying democracy and that makes me prideful in a sense you know so in that video I, th I think i know the one you're talking about he's literally kicking out people he's in this like gymnasium maybe or something so he's got a couple hundred you know people in an audience around him and people just stand up and start trying to question him and challenge him and obviously they have to raise their voices because he has a microphone and they don't so they're trying to speak loudly and challenge and question and he entertains them for a minute or two and then he's like you know what police we need to get this person out of here and then another person does it and he ends up kicking out like five people in this video in sequence. It's just like, oh my, you know, this isn't, he's not, he doesn't hear criticism. You know, Trudeau's got a whole laundry list of problems. That guy's crazy. Um, doing a lot of harm to this country too. Um, so, but yeah, yeah it's like, you know, you say the word democracy. Well, democracy is listening to people you disagree with. And if you're just going to, uh, anytime someone disagrees with you, this agenda, that agenda, you know, he's got a whole bunch of them that are, you know, there's opposition to them. If you can't listen to them and you can't reason and your whole opus um, modus operandi is just I'm implementing this no matter what, now you're not being you know democratic. Now this is where authoritarianism comes from. This is tyrannical. You know the nature of tyrants. Um, we don't want that here. 
we had, you know, you got the one pushback from the truckers, like learn your lesson. If you keep ramming stuff down our throat, there's going to be pushback coming in other areas. Like it's, it's bound to happen if he keeps doing this. Anyway, sorry. I know we're getting political carbon. I thought this was a Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> My bad. But I mean, I feel like it's all kind of like intertwined, especially with, you know, what is going on right now. Right. I mean, we, we brought up RFK, like bringing yeah. up Bitcoin and that's just kind of, you know, I think like, you know, you, you, you mentioned the drawbacks in your book, which, you know, obviously I, I've, I've gone over this a couple of times, but it's absolutely outstanding. So everybody should go check it out. Um, but, you. you know, I think like the next drawback that I see, especially with like 2024 coming up is, is the political aspects of things, which, you know, they can't turn Bitcoin off. Right. You know, we, we highlighted the decentralization aspect of it. And I mean, I think that's like, you know, the, probably the most powerful thing when it comes to Bitcoin. And I think like, you know, it's corny, but I think few people really do understand, you know, that aspect of it and how powerful taking the power away from the people, um, you know, really is. And I think, you know, that uh, just to kind of bring it all back to Bitcoin, yeah. that's what that's what I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting at here is that, you know, like politicians, whether you're never going to agree with somebody in general, a hundred percent on it, right. You're going to have some sort of disagreement. Um, and you know, even with your parents, your best friends, your, you know, sisters, brothers, whatever. Um, but you know, in a sense, you should be able to, to work together. Well, we've gotten to this, this place where, you know, they, they want us to be more divided. They want us to be, you know, kind of, uh, working against each other because like once you're divided and you're not united, you're easier to control. And that's what I think, you know, Bitcoin really kind of takes away from the, from the people there. I'm going uh, to try to find this real quickly. This is maybe a good way to round out this, uh, this talking point, but um, I call Bitcoin. Okay. So um, you're talking about people being divided, right. Yeah. And by, by, by politics. Um, so Bitcoin was purpose built. I'm reading from the book now. Bitcoin was purpose from the same chapter from the what is money, the very like the introduction actually. It was purpose built to restore the uplifting capacity of money and challenge the proficiency of the legacy monetary system. It incentivizes collaboration. This is why I want to bring this up. It incentivizes collaboration by acting as an impartial, right? So it's not left, it's not right, it's neutral by acting as an impartial and mutually beneficial medium that, if increasingly chosen as the preferred basis for commerce, has the potential to generate um, remarkably positive economic and social outcomes. So I've, I've sort of referred to um, Bitcoin. I Maybe it, it's, I, I say it without saying it there, but it's this common ground, right? Bitcoin is a common ground. We can all agree on it, right? You, you can run a node, I can run a node, I can, we all agree there's 21 million. We know where all the 21 million coins are. Um, we don't have to see eye to eye on absolutely everything, but if we agree, okay, Bitcoin's worthwhile, I'm going to accept it. You're going to accept it. I'm going to send it. You're going to send it. You know, we start to generate this common ground that, okay, we have a leg to stand on when dealing with one another. And that's, what's been missing, um, from our, from our, from the world, the last few years and a lot longer, but, uh, it's been exacerbated the last few years. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you know, I think that's a that's a great place to kind of like bring it all together and uh, like wrap it up in a sense. So Jesse, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, taking this hour to to chat with me about this, you know, world when it's not. <laughs> but all I think it it is intertwined, and I think uh, you know, in the end, um, you know, it, it, you should definitely um, you know recommend uh, for the audience listening. Re I recommend his book. 
Um, he definitely puts in, you know, you've heard two paragraphs here that are very well uh, written and thought out. Every single word in there, you know, really helps like dive into, um, you know, what is money? What is Bitcoin? The positives, negatives, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I like that. He's showing the what is money on the back of the, the cover for the, those listening on just audio. But uh, Jesse, I'll, I'll leave it here. Uh, why don't you tell people what else you got going on and where they can find you and your book? Yeah, cheers, brother. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JayberJ, J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. Uh, you can find me on Noster. I'm not going to read my NPUB out, but uh, it's a little more complicated than at JayberJ. Uh, the website, magicbitcoinbook.com. Um, buy it on Amazon, paperback, right? Buy the Kindle, the ebook, um, audiobook read by Guy Swan. And thanks to MASH, which is actually a local uh, Bitcoin Lightning company, uh, local for me anyway, in Toronto. Um, my book is now, it's the first book powered powered by Lightning. You can buy individual pages of my book if you want to just check it out for a few hundred sats per page. Start reading it if you like it. You know, you can buy the whole book. The whole thing's a work of art, so grab it. Um, and if you don't, that's cool too. You you know, you can get a little teaser by uh, by checking out the website. Yeah, it's great stuff, and I couldn't recommend it more. So, uh, and Jesse's a great guy. I mean, if you didn't uh, get that from this conversation, <laughs> he's awesome, dude. It was great to meet you in person, share a beer, and uh, even though he got pulled away, um, but uh, we'll have we'll have to do it again sometime soon. And uh, yeah, Jesse, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, man, this was great.